Jeremy. Hi, Jeremy. <laughs> Hello, Raphael. Hey. Corrected yourself. Welcome back. Yes. Yeah. So last week I scared off our listeners and we have no listener questions. Mm. Oh, because you're like, your questions are trash. <laughs> no, I was like, I can't help you guys if you don't, uh, if, if, if you have, uh, I don't know what to do when someone says, I feel intimidated by the world. Mm-hmm. Are you- Which I totally, I totally understand. And I, I was a bit, uh, I took a certain position in that argument. So I went a bit, my, my whole approach to this feeling intimidated by art history is to go where there was no history. So mm-hmm. that was the internet, basically. But, but in general, when people say, when, when someone comes to you and says, like, I don't know what to do, like, how much can you help? I don't know. I don't know. But, yeah, we've yeah. both been there for each other that way. So I, I kind of, I try yeah. and, you know, like the human brain naturally um, doesn't remember difficulty. Like we're, pro- we're, yeah, yeah, we're programmed yeah. to kind of, yeah. and it's like an evolutionary thing too, right? So Yeah, there's a joke, like if if, if uh, women could remember the first birth, there would never be a second child. Yeah, but like it's true for all kinds of things. Like I was talking to yeah. someone at work and, you know, they were saying how important it was when you do like an executive interview, you're supposed to talk about like, you know, that question, that cliche question that you get at, in a job interview, or maybe you don't because you, you don't work in a job. But like um, a, a typical question is like, you know, what's your biggest weakness or can you tell me about a, a recent failure or a failure and how you overcame it? Yeah. And like some people answer like, I haven't had one, which is a huge mistake. Right. You're, so you're supposed to answer truthfully. But um, it's really, really important at like a senior leadership level because they, the basic rule is you're almost always in crisis in business. And so they want to understand like your ability to like stay calm under difficult circumstances. Um, and so you, but like your natural tendency is to suppress like your previous <laughs> difficult yeah, experiences. Yeah, like, you have to almost like, uh, yeah, my boss was like, you should keep a diary of these difficulties, you know, or whatever. And I was like, no one has ever told me to keep a diary of my business <laughs> difficulties, but mm. it's actually a pretty good idea because you forget how hard the hardship you might've, you know, survived or how you led people through change. that was really difficult. Um, and you probably do it many, many times, but that would be true of just life in general, I think. Right. Yeah. Uh, but we tend to like catalog our greatest moments, not our failures. Yeah, that's how Instagram works. I yeah, guess. like what if Instagram was just like yeah. a failure role, you know? Has anyone tried to do a bummer Instagram? They're ga- like well, they're, not yeah. not not an account on Instagram, but like a specific app that uh, values. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah like I, I I think there's a Dutch advertising guy, photographer, collector, photography person, Eric Kessels, and. He always took pictures of his kids when they had a nosebleed or when they fell playing or when they were crying. And it, it, he made a photo album of it. I saw him do a presentation. And it's really heavy. It looks like a child abuse report or something. Yeah, I think... You're just not used to... Sh- that's really unusual to photograph the bummer moments. Yeah, like even, like, say we were, you know, we're going through difficult economic times. And, and we'll, there's a natural tendency to be like, when was the last time this happened? And then people are like, the 90s or the 70s or whatever. But there hasn't, you know, like... 2012? Was that the last well, time? Well, 2008, you mean like the... But 2012 was a dip. Was it? I thought so. You know, it's even funny, like... I remember... I remember texting with people like, oh, everything's going to crash. We're going to melt down. Yeah, but even 2008, I thought it, like in Canada it was more of an American thing. But it still had pretty big impacts here. Like the company I was working for went bankrupt and I was like, oh, well. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know if I really internalized it. Uh, but I could just be like not able to remember. That's the scary thing. Like maybe I was super stressed and I just can't remember. Um yeah, I, I I just think you should not pay attention to the news and keep going. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, well, that's a different type of thing when the news is just like, yeah, maybe you're right, actually, even then, like, you'll get through it no matter what, right? So. Well, it, it, it's it, it's basically if the the situation for everyone is worse, like 20, if the investment climate is 20 or 40% down than usual, there's still the difference between someone who is more optimistic than someone else just has a better chance of succeeding. Mm-hmm. So 
it doesn't matter the situation outside. That what matters is the your mindset. I'm, I'm really starting to sound like a stupid <laughs> life coach, but if if you let's say you're doing a outdoor swimming race and the, the water's too cold, right? Mm-hmm. And that means you'll swim slower. It's still between you and the other people swimming. So if you swim, mm. if you get discouraged, then you'll be the winner. Like, of the oh, yeah, like the the total the total record won't be as high, or the the, the max speed won't be as high. you know when you're cycling and you have the wind against you or yeah. any of those yeah. things. Yeah. Um, but that's not what you wanted to talk about today. I don't know how much small talk we should. We're I think because we did a pre, oh, yeah. we did a pre small talk before the small talk, which we shouldn't have done. We usually yeah do. because well we did that because we're going on vacation together. Yeah. And you want to know, yeah. was there, is there an electric, here are your two priorities, electric kettle and sound system. So now I know, what yeah. it, like if I was going to build like a moon base for Raphael, make sure to have like exactly. a good speaker system and electric kettle. And... Yeah, a little garden to grow green tea. <laughs> yeah. um, but it has both of those things, which is good. I was just reading actually in the, the Airbnb thing, it strictly forbids any personal or commercial filming. So we're going to have to... Not do any film shoots. <laughs> oh, weird. We can't take pictures of I'm each sure other? I'm sure we can, yeah. yeah. That'd be funny if we take a picture and uh, you get a letter later on saying, hey, you violated our terms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had that. We had an, so when you live in New York, you always fantasize that life is better somewhere else. And so I had to be in L.A. for work and Christina as well. And we're like, why don't we get an Airbnb in Santa Monica for a week and see what it's like to live on the beach or almost on the beach and we didn't like it that much but we went to the beach and supposedly we left a window open and some neighbor was hired to spy on us and then gave us a review later on like hey you guys went to the beach and you left the window open <laughs> and it's like Big now I have a bad Airbnb reputation oh, because yeah. of it so yeah oh wow yeah who, who are these people who get paid to snitch it's crazy <laughs> Well, I mean, I could see how that, like, what if there was a rainstorm and then the floor got wet and then they had to replace the floor? I know. I know. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And but then, that didn't have, I don't know, but just the idea that someone's watching you. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, looking forward to that. Um, yeah. But you said you wanted to talk. And then, yeah. well, yeah, I wanted to talk about the idea of legacy and that, that it seems to me that legacy in the art world is a positive idea and that legacy in the world of software and business is a negative like legacy software literally yeah like we don't think of legacy software but we think of the body of work as an artist as the currency so the more an artist has proven to be persistent and consistent and creative for a long period of time the better Mm -hmm. but it seems the best examples of of disruption are an industry being stuck in a way of working and and a fresh start coming from seemingly out of nowhere. I mean, there are definitely exceptions in business, like uh, Coca-Cola being like a huge exception or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But in, in, in software specifically, because the reason I think a lot of um Pre NFT artists aren't succeeding in NFT world is that they're leaning very heavy on their legacy, oh, like their legacy outside of the NFT world. Yeah, and they're like they make an NFT, but they they first start off by saying, "Well, I I've, I've shown in all these institutions, and then first of all, all those institutions are considered legacy. Mm-hmm. So they're like, I've shown at MoMA and LACMA and uh, everything, and then." The NFT collector world comes from the VC world, I guess. I'm, I'm just—I don't know these mm-hmm. people, but well, I you do. You know them like, better than than I do. No, I don't know them really, not that much. But I'm guessing a lot of them are looking at spreadsheets all day and thinking like, "What's the growth potential? What's the scaling potential?" Da da da. And then if someone comes in and says, "Well, I, I went to the Venice Biennial and I showed my work there," they're like, "Well, that doesn't scale." And but this new kid is around and this new kid is a maniac and just makes exponential amounts of work while the legacy artists are slow and old. And mm, this scale thing, I don't think you've ever brought that up before, but it's kind of an interesting no. angle. Well, it's its just, I, I think um, how much, it, it, you know, we're always talking about respecting all the uh, your elders in the art world. Mm-hmm. That's But you, you, you are in the VC world as well and nobody is like, well, basically, 
all the web one net artists etc like, i've been around since the early 90s mm -hmm. and then from an investment point of view they're like you've been around since the mid 90s but you never made any money yeah yeah so no one's like really blackberry is killing it today you know yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah and so no one is like hey blackberry made a a, a new uh, mobile platform that's going to do great mm -hmm. i mean it depends there are some you know is, legacy but isn't isn't there like even in Silicon Valley, people already start doing plastic surgery at age 35 to look 25. <laughs> I don't know that's done that. like, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I will say, like, yeah, wisdom isn't always appreciated. There are like there have been a few people who have written about this over the years as like older people entering tech. I'm now the oldest person. So I started out as like the youngest person in the room in tech, and now I'm often the oldest person. And I'm not that old. And you're not even that no. old. Yeah. yeah. So, so I'm, in my I'm 40s. saying in, in the world of, of banking, probably it's fine. It's not frowned upon to be 60. Yeah. But, but I don't know for yeah. sure. Yeah. So, you know, the fact that I have, a de you know, more than a decade's worth of experience in tech it is actually valued, though. Like, I won't say it's not valued, I, but it's, the weird thing is you'll, you'll tell a story about how something won't work and why. And then people will be like, but now times are different. And so that's the thing that can kind of trip you up. Um, you'd be like, you know, for example, I can remember when the term cloud was not understood and no one knew what it was. And we had to like, be careful, should we use the term cloud or not? You know, and this is like a very minor example. And like, that was like a, like a several week, you know, it was like a two weeks long discussion or something like that. Obviously, People would laugh at that now be like, ha, 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 right? Like, so in hindsight, like everyone knows what the cloud is. You don't have to worry about it. Um, and so there's like, you've been through certain things that are no longer relevant is like, that's a real thing. Because like you were, yeah. and, and sometimes you were establishing um, the norms. I was talking to a colleague and I was like, you know, the thing that they didn't, they were, they were complaining about is like, don't they know, you know, that we are the ones who established the things that they're like either adding to or fighting against. Um, and that we, and we had no instruction manual and I was like, yeah, but like, isn't that true for everyone? Like, um, it's very easy to kind of fall into this trap. I think of just like, of, um, generational divide, like millennials are lazy kind of thing, which sounds ridiculous now. Right. Cause millennials are the primary, um, you know, working demographic, but yeah. you can remember just a few years ago, people being like, millennials are entitled and da -da -da. now they're <laughs> CEOs. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what am I saying? Like in art, maybe it's, it, it, I can speak from business and art from business, a business perspective though. It's both good and bad. I haven't really yet been like aged out, but I feel it sometimes like more and more because you're expected to in tech, especially in startups, and not, maybe our, not all our listeners know this, but like the idea of not contributing, like not rolling up your sleeve because of flat hierarchies, y you immediately get taken down by younger employees yeah. if you're not yeah. willing to like work alongside them. Um, like having an opinion is considered like useless. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I talk about that a lot. The the also in advertising design agencies. No one seems to be over 50 years old. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, where do these people go after 50? And then Consulting I always companies. think of the, of the movie From Dust Till Dawn, mm -hmm. where you have the biker cafe that's really like an outlaw wild cafe, and it turns out it's a vampire lair, and they eat all the bikers. And then the final shot, you see the back of the bar, and there's a, a giant mass grave for all the bikes and remnants of whoever came there and... I feel like there's something like that for the, all the people who work in tech and creative industry. Uh, yeah, in small just, tech is different than big tech. Like you know, but like the the this the same thing is true. People are allergic to the idea of like administrative waste. You know, like levels of hierarchy. I fought that my entire career. Like anytime I try and introduce some level of management below me, people are like whoa, whoa, whoa! It's a little bit top heavy in your organization. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah, but yeah. like, otherwise I am like doing everything as well, and they're like, that's the way it should be. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but do you feel like your mindset has changed? You're, you're more fighting for the managerial class now. No, no, because I'm, I, I still, I'm like on the ground every day. So, um, anytime I've tried to not be on the ground to do like strategic thinking or something, I'm scolded, uh, and it's okay, like. You can do both. In fact, I think you need both. Like, I think you need to understand 
the day-to-day delivery to do the to do the high level thing um properly because otherwise you just don't have the same information you have like some abstracted version of it so but but as an artist like that's an interesting point because like some artists might uh, progress toward having other people make their work and they're just acting more like a consultant or something like that i don't know is there some equivalent no but but um it seems the the general pattern with the art world is either a gallery finds you when you're very young and they can nurture your career from the start because they discovered you or they find someone who did really well and then you upgrade to a bigger guy or like it seems like the middle zone is is difficult but you can be like old artist and a legend and you're like 70 years old yeah and they can recreate your market or you're 25 and i just don't think it's super easy for like because i remember hanging out with carolee schneeman like in her 70s she's passed away last year i think um but i had an opportunity to spend like a weekend with her and she was so upset like that she her despite her legacy like she was speaking at universities and stuff that she had you know she was a performance artist obviously so she and she was part of a wave of artists that were trying to disrupt the capitalist status quo of the art world right yeah but she had had to live off like the generosity of others basically her entire career and she couldn't really she couldn't figure out a way to string her legacy into commercial prosperity in the final final years of her career like she got a few retrospective kind of shows but that was like after 20 years or 30 years of like well that's almost like your whole life you're trying to say fuck you and all of a sudden you're like i didn't mean it i'm also i'm a sweetheart (laughs) i know but i think like it's easier you know like well we, we should translate what this legacy thing really means yeah but the translate thing that's that's the okay but like in terms of legacy, does it really matter if you're successful? Like, you could be... No, no, no. Yeah. But it sounds like she was trying to not fit in all the time and then at the end trying to make it fit. I, I think she was just reflecting. I, don't, I wouldn't put a judgment on it. Like, this was... Oh, I thought you said that she was trying to fit it into a market she, at some point. No, well, she, no, she just, like, had sort of feelings of confusion or resentment when I was talking to her. Like, and this is more than 10 years. It's almost, like, 20 years ago. She died recently but like so she you know it ended up after that time she did um ascend from obscurity again and like became someone people were talking about all i'm saying yeah. is like it doesn't it's not necessarily a straight line from like young yeah. artist to like famous artists with a great legacy and all the options in the world like there can be like yeah <clears throat> long periods of complete like um you know like that feeling of obsolescence that a tech company feels like where they, uh, an artist maybe is thinking about reinventing themselves or trying to figure out how to get their legacy to be recognized, etc. Yeah, and all these cliches are very dangerous. Like, uh, I met a gallerist once who was mostly focused on paintings, and he's like, yeah, I've, I've worked with conceptual artists, but they all run out of ideas at some point, and painters can just keep going. Really? They run out of That's, ideas? Yeah, he's like, they, they have, they're full of crazy ideas when they're young, and then they want to be more stable, so they start thinking more towards money, and it waters it oh, down. Yeah, and that's for sure. Like, I mean, that's a bit yeah. of a cliche, but I think conceptual art and money don't mix well. <laughs> like, it's, it's hard, because yeah. uh-huh. the money becomes the idea. And at that point, right? Because, like, that type of conceptual artist needs to have that perfect concept packaged in a way where it's airtight and then as soon as like yeah i have no idea but art about money is never great yeah but it it, it's just this is just that i don't know if this is a full episode worth of a topic Mm. but it was just this observation of the art worlds most of the time the more you've shown the better your resume is longer you've done more projects that's That's good that makes you more credible and somehow it seems the opposite in nft world if you start with a blank slate it's but do you think that'll be true forever like no i don't know but Mm -hmm. i i I met this artist i think he's from toronto he's canadian uh, deaf beef and he makes these audio nfts Mm-hmm. And uh, he's really a purist, so they're on chain, they're coded in C, and etc. And it's very medium specific, and it's a big hit. The, the NFT community loves it. And so, if you go to his website, 
there's no previous project. It's just this audio NFT project that started two years ago. Mm -hmm. And he built his whole brand or identity on this single idea and it's very focused and just makes it very digestible. And it's not like, oh, look at my experiments from 1980. So I feel like there's something different about software. Like you wouldn't, I guess Apple is not going to, present the new iPhone and say it's good because we also made the Apple II. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the way I've seen it, though, is in both business and in art, like you'll have um, folks pretty hot early on that disrupt the status quo. And they're like, whoa, what's going on there? Like, there's something new. It's a new trend. Everyone pays attention, right? And this is like Gartner's hype cycle that we've talked about on the podcast before. And then there's like, okay, this is overhyped. And there's a little bit of a crash or that person, you know, people kind of wane, their interest wanes and you know, there's a bit of a trough yeah. for a period of time, and then the and and it's almost like the the Steve Jobs, his his up and down moments. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. And then later, being, they, they being stuck, and then yeah. moving to next, and they're kind of failing but kind of succeeding, and then yeah, yeah. It's kind of a good example, and I think a lot of artists, like we haven't heard of about you know very many of the YBAs in a while, like the young British artists, like your Damien Hirst or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, like there was a certain point where you're like, enough with this Damien Hirst guy, right? Like I'm now, like when that jumping of the shark happens and whether or not he reintegrates a return, this is something I was thinking about the other day because so many actors disappear, et cetera. And you have to ask yourself, do they disappear because they don't have to work anymore? Like they reach a certain level of success? Or they disappear because they decide, like, yeah, I don't want to play yeah. the game but, anymore, right? Yeah, but, but but specifically to my own work, I, I remember um, when NFT started, my first gut feeling was like, hey, I was doing domain names. It's basically the same thing. Uh, so I was far ahead of the idea. Yeah. But I, it just it flipped in my head that actually I, I would meet some of these typical crypto collectors and they wouldn't know about my work they didn't understand it and i would say like well i had a system with domain names and i thought that's cool but now i'm thinking in their head it's like oh someone had a really bad business model and tried that for 20 years so i'm not going to invest in this person mm -hmm. so yeah that like this poor it's soul just, it's just a <laughs> it's just a mind flip of like oh i always thought it's good to be ahead of the curve and but for a lot of people it's like it didn't work why were you doing that it doesn't seem like something you can really control for though right no no but it's it's a thing you could it, it's a thing that um you can take into consideration when you're starting with nft like do i try to fit the old idea into this new uh. space or do i approach it as a completely new area yeah and i think that's uh like if a painter sees nfts like oh do i treat this as a okay but let's like it's, let's take uh, it out of the realm of nfts and say it was like vr or ar like an other new technologies yeah um, yeah and you know do you try and bring so marshall McLuhan would say like a lot of times people will try and bring the you know the past into that future technology as a way exactly of, you know so yeah you know for example he would say like television was the history of theater because the first and film was the history of theater or something because the first films just were plays on screen and then new formal language emerged. And eventually like we ended up with, you know, the hyper kind of edited versions of films and television we have today. But early on, yeah. it was just like, they didn't know what they could do. And you see early on, I think in a new media, a lot of exploration and experimentation, which is very exciting too. Like, because people are like, wait a second, you don't have to just do plays. We could also do, you know, we can turn the image upside down. We can flip it. We can invert it. Like all of these things. Yeah, and and then the, the, there's the, time is not linear in that sense. So maybe the first photos were trying to look like paintings, and then at some point, people try to make paintings look like photos mm -hmm. that use like a lens flare or like bad flash lighting into photorealism. Right. And it looks like a polar. You you make an oil oil painting that looks like a Polaroid, and then that's very surprising. So. It works all ways. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think like um, if we, if we, you know, if we take that into consideration, 
I remember when VR first emerged, a lot of what people were trying to do is make films in VR, like immersive cinema. Oh, yeah. People are like, oh, this is cool. You can watch Star Wars, but you can go behind the camera, in front of the camera. Yeah. And, you know, VR now, though, like what the, if you talk to folks about what they think the future of VR is, they, they say it's like social metaverse. It's like a replacement for everything, right? Like that's a yeah. pretty big expansion. But that's still, of the but that's still, that's still a little bit legacy thinking. Like, oh, you like Facebook, but what if it was in three D? Right. Yeah. You like them all? Ooh, yeah. we'll put them all in your in your house. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. I still think that's legacy, and I still think that's part of the hype cycle where Maybe, they're looking yeah. for new opportunity, but they haven't found it yet. Yeah. Maybe what I'm getting at is that uh, we often. There are old ways, and then there's a new efficiency. Mm -hmm. So let's say you had the information superhighway, and then they had the metaphor of like driving your car on that highway and stopping into the library and then stopping into the bank. And then it turns out hyperlinks are much better than getting into a virtual car and hitting the virtual gas and then virtually parking and all that stuff. You just want to click and go. You don't want any animation between the clicks. Like You just want to get there immediately. So Wikipedia turns out... To be better than creating virtual books that you open in 3D. And it sounds a lot like the metaverse is trying to go back to that thing. It's like, I'm trying to access information. I'm not trying to open a virtual book. Just give me the info. Yeah. Yeah. And there's going to be a point at which, you know, I think we've already, I was doing an artist talk last week and, you know, you know how there's like the in real life comments versus like online and like people will ask like, do you think AR is going to be a thing? the argue, the sort of discussion point I brought up is that AR is already like you probably you might be spending some people are spending more time in looking at screens if not most people than not right and so yeah of your waking hours for yeah sure. of your waking yeah. hours yeah that's a good point like in sleep that's a different story um, and so when you say in real life what are you referring to the life where you're not looking at a screen well that's the minority of your day. Um, and so when we catalog experience that way, it's kind of harmful because that now you're saying like of your lived experience only like now less and less percent counts as valid. That's real. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. And, and you're made to feel bad. About yeah. It. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, yeah. And I think especially for digital artists, this is like an, it's, if only looking at a screen would help your posture. <laughs> Well, that's the problem. Because when, you know, when people will speculate, okay, well, the future of AR is actually glasses, right? And they won't, without looking at, you know, there's always this this comment um, or the saying, you know, that the future is already here. It's just not well distributed. Um, and so, but it is actually well distributed and you're in it, like it is here and you're just refusing to acknowledge it, right? And if I think if you acknowledge that you're mostly living a virtual life at this point, um, you would make different decisions, and that that yeah, and but that's a, that's almost an argument against AR because if you're saying a layer on top of in quotes reality, and if you're saying that part of the day that we call reality is actually less real than all the emotional impact that yeah. the screen has, maybe we should think the other way around. We shouldn't think of a digital layer on top of reality, but we should think of like a little bit of reality injection in the yeah. In your That's desktop. My like my point yeah. is like if in because it's legacy thinking, like if we get back to today's yeah. theme, which is like the legacy thinking is like, oh, we've all got to get back to reality, not realizing that reality, you know, like a frog boiling in water or whatever has like shifted in, in the last 50 years, because this goes yeah. all the way back to te- the early television kind of era uh, to the point where you you have a like, it's almost like a quaint idea of what reality is at this point like but then yeah the, the counter argument if we see art history as legacy and it's like it's not important let's just move and break stuff mm-hmm. you have the risk if you don't look at art history that you think you're inventing things that have already been invented oh yeah and yeah. i think i think art is different there than software that in software it's really clear what's been invented um, and I think in art history, it's much less. So someone could be like, I made the first NFT that is selling poop. And it's like, no, Manzoni sold poop as art. And if you don't know that, I don't know. It's, it's, that's a, maybe that goes back also to the previous episode about art that's history. That's true. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you don't know it, it's still, 
like here here's an, another point I was making in my talk is like someone was like won't AI replace artists aren't you afraid of that and I was like you know it, when because it, they're like when AI can create like concepts better than humans and I was like humans don't create concepts like the people that read the concepts like the audience creates meaning not the artist right um and I know you might disagree with this, but like ultimately at the end of the day, like if the poop is well received, it's conceptually, you know, relevant. It's not It's a community it's project. It's a community project. It has nothing it ha- yeah. not have, doesn't have nothing to do with the artist, but it's not created in no. isolation. Therefore, if a computer generates poop and it's already been created, if the public or whomever receives it receives it with the intention that it's great, yeah, yeah, then yeah. that is what it will be. Well, that's that's why I bring up the NFT thing, not so much because of the technology, but because of it's a, a different audience. So to that audience, if if you're expanding the art audience and democratizing it, making it more accessible, to them, they haven't been sold the poop can yet. So then is it a different... Yeah. It, uh, pun no, intended, no, I think... It, is, it yeah. a, is it fresh poop if you if you sell poop NFTs? And, uh, well, speaking yeah. of fresh, like when we redesigned... Fre- I redesigned fresh books, like from the ground up. We had these people that were on like classic, which I thought was poop because I, I had inherited it from the people who had made it, who had made it like, you know, like one incrementally, but the people who used it loved it. And so we... But we created this new version that... I led, so I was like biased to think it was like vastly superior, right? And when we showed like the old, the people who had been on the old system, this new system, they were like, ooh, this is horrible. What were you thinking, right? But meanwhile, new people who had never used the old system thought it was great and they, they you know, they liked it even more. Um, and so legacy can also be like, it is. You know, we talk about things being linear or ahistorical or historical, but if you've had an experience with one thing, especially in software, you, there is some nostalgia for the old. Like my, the 3D software I use, Cinema 4D, I've been using since I was like 14 years old. They recently updated the interface and I was like, dear God, I hate this, right? Like cause you've changed yeah. something that I've used for literally more, like more than 20 years. And I've like I'm habitually attuned to, but but and then I looked at the notes and they all of the changes they made. I was like, wow, this is really logical what they've decided to do here. But I still don't like it, right? Um, and th- yeah, and then there's things like at some point people want to squeeze the profit margins, and that might not be best for the user. So sometimes moving to a subscription doesn't create a better user experience. And you're like, I don't need all the new features. The tool is fine the way it is. I just want to pay for it once. And people will start adding features because the business model wants new features, not because it makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so like... But, the- but back back to artists, that so much of the history of art, um, I think maybe up until 2000 or something, was about this progression of inventions. So it was this constant building upon art history. And... That seems to be things are more non-linear now, and well, also histories feels- are being revised too. Like, yeah, you know, we've talked about that yeah. previously, where it's like, okay, well, we, you know, this person had been celebrated, they canonized, like, you know, crystallized as a legend, like their legacy was important, and then we come, we, you know, we find out actually they're a horrible human being, and then the debate becomes like, does that mean their work was also less relevant? And quite often. The answer is yeah, but and like, but it's not always. There's sometimes debate about it, right? Which I find interesting. Um, well, I, I think the interesting thing is that there is no objective measure for quality, so it's all fiction. But that's what I'm saying. Meaning is created important. by yeah. the, the audience, and so yeah. like as culture and shifts, you're gonna see like a legacy could shift as well. Yeah, and I could see that, but it the way it feels to me is just there are many. Uh, simultaneous art histories because I think there's a whole bunch of people who are super woke and want to rewrite history for that reason and then there's a whole movement of anti-woke people who want to revive people who weren't even appreciated on their time yeah. because they were too stupid and and then there's just going to be simultaneous realities of different uh, tribes I am always I, I, I think people do I do love a story where someone was ignored and then they resurface like some amazing history because I think it's like a rags to riches, like miracle story. Yeah. Whenever you hear it, you're yeah. like, oh my God, this person was like operating in relative obscurity uh, for all of these decades. Um, I remember watching this Netflix documentary about like, 
a musician. I can't remember his name, which is the tragedy of this. Um, but he had become like says a lot. he had become like famous in other parts of the world without knowing it. Like, and he had like given up on his music career. But he was like a folk music hero in like uh, Japan and in like the Caribbean or something. It's always in Japan, yeah. <laughs> but like he didn't. He wasn't even aware that his legacy had transcended himself, and he was like kind of living on the street and stuff. And um, I don't know for whatever reason, like there's something in that story where it's like. You know, you're not in control of your legacy, but you might not even be aware of it. It is, it is funny at the end of the day that it's thrilling for us that if the winner keeps winning, that's boring. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes someone wasn't winning and all of a sudden they, they rise and it's great. But the whole thrill of this narrative is based on a hierarchy. We can't just have everybody win exactly equal. It wouldn't be exciting. And that's this the weird uh, contradiction of wanting... I think in a profession like healthcare, you want everyone to be fairly compensated. Everyone should be have a pension. Everyone should... etc. But in art, it just would be a weird world where every artist would be valued exactly the same. Well, the cynical Everyone's point of view is... That, Everything's yeah, great. I mean, that's a rags to riches kind of thing. I think it's like somewhat... Not rags to riches, more like... Everyone starts out comfortable and is comfortable till the end, and everyone holds hands and everyone. Loves well, there's kind each of a, a meritocratic myth in there, though. That's like, I would, yeah. I would potentially debunk. I think a lot more luck. No, no, I yeah. agree. But, but the counter argument of like a, a utopia where mm. everyone's an artist, there's a universal basic income, nobody's ranked, uh, you don't even have to think about money. It's sort of Star Trek future. Yeah. That's kind of like how, yeah. what I experienced, though, when I, I hope none of my Nor- Norwegian listeners find this offensive, but I did like a, a residency in Norway and they had like incredible programs for young artists, like right out of school, you would get like a government subsidy studio. You could get a grant for life there. I think. Yes. Like, yeah. so you get labeled yeah. as an artist and then it's like, you're kind of taken care of. And I was like, I came in did this residency on like art, the art, art and entrepreneurship and like even though the, even the people that signed up for the residency found it an offensive concept <laughs> because they're like yeah. why would we do any of these things when we could just like apply for the government like sponsored system and and do whatever we want and i was like yeah, yeah you're I, right i had a friend making jokes about that, that this term the official artist that the government then decides who are the official artists it's like you get a stamp and then the rest of your life you don't have to worry you can Make whatever you want, but you you've been verified. Yeah, well, for, for in like Canada, it's like if you do eight years on your. But my CV, my point is, you can't you can't uh, you can't ver- give the verified badge to everybody because then the badge loses. No, meaning. that's right. No, but that's why I don't know if, you, if this is true in the Netherlands, but in Canada we have like different categories. Like, and if you have you have emerging artist, and then you have mid career, and if you can get through emerging, you have to have been like you know, just starting out or a couple years on your CV, but mid-career is like eight years. And until you get to mid-career, like the amounts you can receive are pretty small. Like you have to survive that eight years to really unlock greater potential. It's like a video game. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you make it to that eight years, which I made too long ago, like in theory, you're supposed to be more comfortable. Like it's easier to apply for things and you get more opportunities. Um, and then late stage, you know, like you're that's then you're like getting your governor general's prize and like, you know, th- you know, going to a dignitary type things. I always believed in that myth. And um, I think it's a it's not really like it sounds good, but it doesn't really work. But that it's, way. yeah. Does humanity work in a way where previous achievements accumulate in a positive sense? And your reputation builds, and the more good things you do, the better your reputation. Well, yeah, in some circles, like certainly in some yeah, circles. Yeah. But it seems like uh, to that question of like the transition from silent film to speaking film, the talkies. It a lot of actors. I, I'm not an expert, but I imagine a lot of actors who thrived in the silent era weren't necessarily the ones who thrived in the audio film era. Because they were acting too much and they had to act more subtly. or, And then the transaction from maybe someone had a weird complexion and didn't look so good in color film. Or, I don't know. But yeah. each transition, uh, yeah, the they ones didn't who were optimized the for the era before. Yeah. So, But that's like, no. I think it's unique to certain cultures and civilizations. Like, 
um, I don't think that's necessarily the right word, but like in in some indigenous cultures, right? Like the elder, that you know, the person with the most experience, you know, also holds the highest, and it's not even a hierarchy, right? Like, but they hold a, a position of respect, and they are consulted, and you know, um, I think often. It maybe it's a uniquely North American or European thing to like at a certain point look at wisdom as a deficit, like um, yeah, because yeah, it's exactly. holding you back. Yeah, and and then like uh, I'm just soda's drinking right now, the, uh, our dog. So mm. I just thought like people are so in love with puppies on the internet much more than old dogs. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, really? I don't. I don't. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I, if if you go on Instagram, you see more pictures of puppies than of old dogs. Well, if youth is yeah, like definitely youth is has been commodified and is bought and sold. Youth is very attractive, yeah, yeah and it's very cute, and so th- that it's it, yeah, it was just a, a minor observation of seeing some NFT artists who didn't start with a giant resume and but they did well right freeing. away. Yeah, and and it it made them it made them more focused because they weren't like how is this going to match with my previous things and how am I oh, going to keep Oh, yeah, the pe- that's an interesting point. And, yeah. How do I make this fit and, with, and, my, but, like, but, with my... Yeah, but trajectory. what I mean is that it you're in a software platform and software platforms that seem to do well are the ones who are not trying to fit the old way of working into a new way of working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I mean, I have... Unlike you, I've done a few NFTs here and there, right? And like... I've shown them in traditional galleries more than I have not actually, which is kind of interesting. Um, so like, I'm not even sure what the right way to like, if a new media comes along, like I've done a few, a few VR projects, but I didn't become a VR artist. Right. Like, um, yeah, yeah. The, l- you went like, forget everything. I'm a hundred percent VR. Yeah. Person. And I don't know whether that factors in or not, but like, certainly like, you know, I don't expect, um, you know, like, Let's take an example of a musician who dabbles in like fashion. Like they don't stop. Yeah, making just one music. second. Hold up. One second. Soda wanted something from her to- toy uh, okay, basket. Okay. Yeah. But actually, an example that just came to mind while you're helping Soda was like Gwyneth Paltrow. So Gwyneth Paltrow had, like was arguably one of the most famous actors on the planet, right? Um, yeah. And then decided that she didn't like acting and started a newsletter. She probably thought it was a bad business model. Well, kind of, but she started a newsletter about like her favorite things. And then she was like, people like this newsletter. And she's like, maybe I could sell the things that I'm recommending. And then that became Goop, which is like like a multi-billion dollar business. And she says she's like happier as the CEO than she ever was as an actor. She also felt as an actor that um, she was like disrespected by the business people <laughs> in Hollywood, which is I, could I can that. totally yeah. say it because I've been in creative in agency land and otherwise a lot of my career where like no one ever understands creative people. And so they all lament management. Um, but now she is management, right? Like full creative yeah, control. Yeah, yeah. And so like, but like completely abandoned now you'd say like she still has a reputation as a her legacy as an actor like helped her new brand, but um, no, but she definitely she didn't think like oh I have to make movies to merchandise these uh, products. She saw it as a new no thing. yeah exactly it's not like went from yeah yeah started it's from not like scratch. a Wes Anderson yeah. no these are the items from my Wes Anderson movies or whatever you know yeah yeah it's a good example yeah because it's it is building on her persona but yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think that's available to everyone all the time. Like, I actually think you made a good point in saying that, like, the young artist or the, or it doesn't matter how old they are, that started using NFTs and just didn't really care whether it fit into their previous legacy. Yeah. And, and it, you have nothing to lose. And, yeah. That's yeah. interesting because, like, I can imagine someone just picking up, you know, and creating a net new, like, the net new can, a net new canvas, a new area, new themes, like, that that would be tremendously liberating if you'd let yourself yeah. do that. Well, it, it just seemed that most of the art world was similar to what you described with the grant system of, like, get through the eight years, then you get to the mid thing, and then it's a little... And all these unspoken rules of these layers of management of biennials and museums and galleries, mm-hmm. 
and they had set all these rules. Same way you say the business people laugh at the creatives. The galleries are a little bit like, oh, you have these young and naive artists. I already know how this is going to play mm-hmm. out. But um, So give me 20 of your works and uh, I'll keep five of them and I'll flip the rest and then blah, blah, blah. And they're in control, blah, blah, blah. And it seemed always the legacy and the, the CV was what mattered. And it, what and that has just seemed like a different thing because it's software. But maybe I'm mistaken. But ask me again in 10 years. But it just seems in, in software, you're not like, this app was really successful on Windows 95, <laughs> so we're bringing it to the iPhone. Yeah, no, no, there are very few exceptions to that. But software is young in its like cultural development, right? Like if you think about it. Most people were not actively using software outside of work until the 90s, right? Like video games would have been the exception. But um, now, you know, fast forward, like into the 2000s, software became more and more cultural force. Like I often joke that our, you know, our parents considered culture like ideological, like um, so they'd have like free love. Like so if our parents had free love, we have like Amazon, so we have like free shipping, right? But at this point, mm-hmm. like software transcends all culture um, to the extent. Now, free love is on Tinder, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or on Grinder or something like that. And so, um, software is an intermediating force, like in the you know internet art example of. It's a connector. Yeah, exactly. So it's like the software itself is a cult is cultural are, is culture in a, and, and I don't want to pervert that in so much as like culture relies on human action. But if all actions are intermediated by software, yeah. then the software has some influence obviously over the cultural outcomes. Yeah. And, and I, I think from the beginning uh, we both saw the internet as a place of exhibition, not only, so we saw the computer not only as a tool, but also as a place to see the work. But for most people, most artists, it was always, I will post a picture of my painting on Instagram so you can come and see the real thing. Mm-hmm. And it, But it's also what you said around scale earlier where, when I said that was interesting. The reason it's interesting is because the, the way software became culturally significant was by scaling distribution of mediation, right? Like by operating at massive scale. Yeah. And so yeah. like... You know, you have, let's take an example of like Netflix or something. You had the Blockbuster, you know, but Blockbuster disrupted at scale movie theaters, like movie theaters in any one town. There were like 10, maybe two good ones that you'd go to. And then Blockbuster's like, what if your living room was a movie theater? Yeah. But did they, re- yeah. So that's the question. Yeah. How, I don't know the history of movie theaters. How much uh, seats did they lose to Blockbuster or? Oh, I mean, I think a huge, they, huge. They did number. stay around for they a long did, time. They did, yeah. and they had to, amp, but they had to amp up the quality of the theaters. That's when, like, yeah, the big megaplex theaters came out, and like seats, big the, seats. yeah, and the seats would then yeah. like twist and turn as like three D movies. Like they kept upping the ante, and then the home environment like kept upping as well. Yeah. To the point now where... When like, was the last time you went to the theater? I went like a month or two ago with friends who were like, the only reason to go to the theater is if you do it this way. And it's called like VIP or VIP here in Toronto. And it's like, you get to yeah. have dinner while you watch the movie. And I'm like, wait a second. Oh, like, yeah. this is a sports bar. <laughs> what did you think? And it was like a sports bar. Like, it was like dirty food. But did you like wings. the experience? Um, like, it, it was okay. Yeah. Like, but it was smelly. And it was like... I, I find that the... Eating requires your attention somewhat. Yeah. You have to look at the plate, and that's very difficult when you're trying to watch a movie. So I, I don't think those two experiences work well together. Yeah, yeah. I'm Like, I'd rather have good food or a good movie and not, like, medium food and medium movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but anyway, I think, like, just as an example, Netflix then takes, you know, like, you could go to a movie, there'd be five... Remember going to the movies and, like... Or even a blockbuster, right? And it's like, oh, the movie you want to watch is all rented out, or the movie is sold out, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, or we don't, yeah. we're not carrying that movie, like we're not going to show it. And then you're like, oh, well, that doesn't seem right. Like I want to watch this. I have five dollars. I want to spend it on that. So Netflix says, like, hey, whatever the thing is you want to watch, we're going to make yeah. it available. I actually just unsubscribed to Netflix. Well, they lost a million subscribers. Yeah, uh, I was one of them. Yeah. I was like, we're not watching that much, and we kept doing like the higher resolution and whatever, and it's. Like, 
but, 20 bucks a month. Yeah, by the way, I'm about to cancel stuff. too, but a million people canceled last quarter alone. Yeah. Uh, or sorry, they yeah. lost a million subscribers. But the, it's, it's a good example because we were talking about is VR going to be interactive movies? Mm-hmm. And now it turns out the interactivity of, of entertainment is Twitter. And so... Or is it like people TikTok? watch shows? Or it's <laughs> it's TikTok. Well, it, it's it's scattered. So yeah. it's TikTok. It's podcasts about TV shows. Yeah. That's part of the Meta. interactivity. It's people uh, tweeting while there's a sports game, and so they're sharing it that way. Uh, it's all the layers, all these connected layers. But um, it does seem that TikTok is this form of interactive storytelling that's associative and you jump from one thing to the other. And it is a different form of entertainment. I will give it that. Like yeah. the closest. I still thing. haven't installed it, I'm afraid. Well, if you install it, you know what's brilliant about it? You don't need to create an account. No, I know. And I know and that it's, it's still, just going to suck. And it's still, me in, the so. algorithm still works, which I think, like, I'm often like amazed at these things that, like, they're le- this is a legacy dis- le- legacy thing. So here's a legacy like thing in software on on the internet specifically, not software that you bought on like a CD or you downloaded, but um, on the internet, the legacy is when you go to sign up for software, you go through like an onboarding experience, like you put your name and your email and then like a few details about yourself. Choose a password. Yeah, like yeah. these seem like normal and things. And a lot of right? people stop there. Um, so like about, yeah, between 70 and 90% of people actually are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like I, I'm not going to give you that information. <laughs> and this is like an accepted number, right? Like, and you're just like, yep, that's just the cost. We, you know, we, in fact, I'll be in, I've been in meetings over the course of my career where people have been like, well, we don't want those people because they don't want us enough. And I'm like, Imagine a store that acted that way. Like yeah, some yeah, do. Yeah. They're called luxury there, there was, goods. I think there was a there was a sketch of like, what if in real life checkout was as hard as online? And so absurd. Yeah. Someone's like at the supermarket and it gives a card. Doesn't work. Give another card. <laughs> Doesn't work. What's your? When did you meet your first girlfriend? Yeah. What's your um, birthday? Uh, yeah. 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 So like I I mean it's just on my mind because at work I was like, what if there were no steps? You know, like and I've done this several times in my career. Like, what if you could just use the thing? But well, that's the legacy thing I'm talking about exactly. And it, I think sometimes you can go too far. But TikTok is the example where they're like. What login? You don't need a login. <laughs> yeah. You just want to watch stuff. Exactly. Like, I'm just like, yeah. I, here's here's a concept. Like, people want to use your thing. Let them use it. You know, like. Um. But the, I, I'm still. Uh, I find the NFT thing just fascinating, and I, I think I'm still in the legacy mindset that I'm thinking, okay, people own the NFT, but how do they enjoy it on their wall? And that's mm. also a legacy thought because if, like you said, ninety percent of the time you're looking at a screen. Why would you put all that money into installing it on a wall? Well, we're thinking about getting a new TV for our place. And I, I was like, Kristen, let's go look at the frame. So we like went to the, yeah. the spy and we're like... The ma- matte screen? Matte screen frame. She's like, why does it look so dull? <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> and, and like, I don't Not like... So the, saturated? And I don't like the, the color of the frame. Like, look, she was like... She pointed out the seams in the frame itself. She's like, I would never accept a frame like that from a framer. Yeah, yeah. But you can get a black one. The black okay, edge. That one okay. looks okay. Um, and I was like, wait a second. The, hid- the hidden secret of the, the frame is that there is a bulky base power yeah. adapter thing that you have to hide somewhere. So. But also the quality of the screen is not as good as like a high-end TV. So you're like, so you're actually compromising. Well, it's more optimized for stills. It's actually just so, when you don't use it. So yeah. would you use that for an NF- NFT? But your stuff moves. Why would you? Yeah, exactly. So my, my whole point is like, I'm always on my computer. Like, I'm just always on my computer. Why would I hang a big screen on the wall? Yeah. It's more for public space. I think it's nice for social events, but um, this idea is like, what is the perfect screen to watch your work? It's like, well, the screen that you're using. I have often thought, thought about screen. that. We're kind of devolving in the podcast here, but like when I stand a foot no, away no, from but, my... But the, the legacy thing yeah. is, is what I'm getting at is that we're always taught in before the distributed image, we're taught to think, what is the ultimate form of the work? And we'll store that form in a box. Yeah. And you have to come to the specific to the location to see the yeah. real work. Mm-hmm. And it's the same argument of like, what is the real time? And you were arguing in your talk, we're on the screen so much, that's more real than when you walk in the forest and turn off your phone for five mm-hmm. minutes. The ideal conditions to view an artwork are kind of framed the same way. And it's like, wait a second. Yeah, and so once, but but there's this argument of uh, photography. Okay, you take a picture, but the real work is when you print it large on, on 
silver nitrate, whatever, classic mm-hmm. paper, frame it perfectly, no reflection, all that stuff. But then the internet came along and you make a photo album and view the photos full screen. And then Flickr and you view them full screen, you could download the high res. Mm-hmm. But at some point, the photos got smaller and smaller, but started spreading faster. And so what's more real, the, the high res thing on Flickr or the big museum photo or the picture that everybody actually sees? And- I'll take it one step further, which is like, um, I was researching TVs and I was, there was, I was reading about this like, one TCL series of television that's great, great value for money, but watch out for the dirty screen effect. And then I was like, dirty screen effect. What's that? And I was like, here's a test you can run on your own TV to figure out if you have dirty screen. And I was like, <laughs> okay, well, I'll try that on my, my current TV and that'll be a good comparison. And then I did it on my current TV, which is pretty old. And it's not very good. And like, it looked dirty, but I wasn't sure if it was my eyes that were worse or the TV. Oh, <laughs> and, you know, I was like, yeah. wait a second, there's like stuff on my glasses. And like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. can I be sure if I trust my own eyesight? <laughs> these That's a good point. And I was yeah. like, what it like? So the ideal state is not one that I'm able to perceive. And therefore, like, I felt kind of some shame. I was like, maybe I'm not like <laughs> capable of. I'm not worthy. <laughs> Well, then we get back to the idolatry of youth. Like, only five-year-olds can see me. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. Yeah, this work's only created for people under 30 with perfect eyesight. Yeah. So, yeah, enjoy it. The same with music, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like the audiophiles yeah. thing, where it's like, I've got these, like, $10,000 headphones, and uh, they're made of wood and uh, a special kind of resonant magnet only found in exactly. Arctic Alps yeah. or something. But only old men can review moldy cheeses <laughs> because no one else can bear them. Oh, yeah. And wine, you know, like I had to drink yeah. 10,000 bottles Cigars. of wine before I, my palate was ready for this. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so legacy schmegacy. Legacy schmegacy. <laughs> uh, no, but it, it, uh, we'll see how it all plays out. But uh, we uh, certainly will. Yeah. Or we won't see yeah. it, we'll hear it, or we will uh, read about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Honestly, like you're so embedded in it, the NFT stuff. Like it, it's barely a signal on my radar compared to you. I think so. Um, you're also plugged into a different narrative, right? Um, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying with the multiple art histories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that was cool. Thanks for listening, folks. And next time we chat, yeah. well, we're not going to record from this Airbnb, uh, but we'll probably no. talk about it after. Um, and I might be in Calgary by then, so there's going to be a lot. Stay when, tuned. when are you moving to Calgary? August 10th, yeah. And how long are you staying for that stay? Um, well, like, I'll be back within a month or so for, like, an opening in Toronto, um, but... But is your plan to sort of do a month here, a month there? Yeah, yeah, I'd like to figure out, like, how rhythm? to make that work. Um, yeah, to be, and, like, I'll be probably will be there for eight months but i'll come back like you know one week uh, a month or so or one weekend a month um and and speaking of legacy uh how how is your work about feeling about you moving further out well i i think i've said on this podcast before so if you work in tech you, you rarely work with people that are living in the same city as you anymore um or it's increasingly rare certainly at the executive level it's almost like unheard of um and especially in Canada, because most American executives are, or most of executives are American in tech. Um, and that someone's going to call me out on that stat, but it's like a very large percentage. Um, and is that working out? Like, is the productivity okay with people being removed from each other? Well, it's funny because, you know, I went into the office a few times over the last few months. And one day I went in last week and I solved something. It was like bedeviling for weeks in like an hour, you know. So I, I still believe if you get in person, you can't for creative problem solving you can kind of break through barriers um more quickly mm. uh, and okay. it's weird because then you're like what do we do with the rest of our day you know like <laughs> now that, now mm. we solved this right um yeah and I, I obviously yeah, I have plenty to do but i'm working on a, a more complicated nft project with a few friends and we just had a coffee for 15 minutes and we solved something we were talking about for two exactly, minutes. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Asynchronous communication, for example, is more likely to occur in remote cultures, but 
some like asynchronicity. I always think of batch size um, from you know Lean uh, and Eric Reese, and batch size is the amount of time it takes to to run an experiment. But when a conversation is actually like a ser- a dense series of uh, experiments all back to back to back, right? Um, where everyone is trying a different prototype out in real yeah. time. But if you had to do that over email or text, it can the number of experiments you can run and the amount of second guessing, like what if they think this, what if they think that? But it's also the the change. So if you're used to going to the office every day, then that can get stale. And then all of a sudden being remote and just focusing on writing might be refreshing. So a change of working method. For sure. There's, throughout there are the different month. minds, but like I will share that like most um, CEOs and founders that I've worked with, and I don't want to be biased towards people who don't do this, but they think out loud. And the reason they think out loud yeah. is because yeah. they want to filter like they're experimenting out loud. Is this working? And they're reading constantly. It's like sketching with yeah. words. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Stop talking. Cool. <laughs> Thanks See for listening, everyone. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye.